Welcome to our teaching today, where Christ's Word is the center of our world. We are about to listen to the undiluted Word of God from the throne of grace with Pastor Philip Ransom Bello. Let's start with the crown of righteousness, Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 7. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. What's the next thing? Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So, uh, um, in the teaching he gave, he said the crown is given to those who kept the faith. Once you, you're, you're able to keep the faith... I was teaching two Sundays ago, and I said, one of the qualities of the faith that we have received is that that faith is the one that endures to the end. Do you remember? Okay. And also, this crown is given to those who love his appearing. The kind of joy that can make you endure the cross must come from, must be more real than the pain. Um regardless of what you're going through, regardless of your pain, your crisis, your trials, as long as you're able to see through that, the joys of heaven in front of you, um, that helps you go through the pain, right? So it's important that we have the object of our faith in front of us. And I remember saying to you that the object of our faith is Christ, right? Christ is not, Jesus Christ is not, um, just a message we talk about. He's an experience. If you have never experienced Jesus Christ before, you talk about Jesus Christ the way your brother did. You talk about Jesus Christ the way your father did. You talk about Jesus Christ the way your pastor does. But you have no real experience for yourself of who Jesus is to you. And this is the reason why faith is subjective because Faith has to be subjective. I can't replicate your faith. Because there's so many things that come with um, the concept of faith. There's so many things. When I, when I mean faith now, I'm not talking about objective faith, but I'm talking about subjective faith. There's so many things that come with subjective faith, of which your experiences is one of them. Your perception to God's word is another. How you see the word, the things you go through... Nobody goes through the same things. Nobody has the same backgrounds. Nobody has the same um, 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 upbringing. Nobody has the same experiences generally in life. So because of that, your faith is subjective. How do I mean? The way you see God is different. Your neighbor can never see God exactly the way you see God. So your explanation of God is based on your perception of who God is. Are you still here? Alright, so... Um, the second crown he talked about is the crown of life, James chapter 1 verse 12, right, James chapter 1 verse, verse 12, the first crown, the crown of righteousness for those who keep the faith and who love his appearance, the second crown is given to those who um, will be able to go through trials in life, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let me uh, put a very clear 
um, um, background here. Crowns are given to you because of what you do. But heaven is not a place you go to because of what you do. So wise crowns are given to believers for their work, which the Bible calls good works. Heaven is not a place because you have good works. So in other words, heaven is not a reward. Do you understand what I'm saying? So say this with me, heaven is not a reward. God is not trying to reward you with heaven. No, you're already seated in the heavenly places, far above principalities and powers. I mean, you must believe that. So the fact that you fell into a sin or the fact that something happened to you doesn't mean that um, there was an archangel who was in heaven that kicked you from heavenly places and you landed down on earth as if to say you fell like Lucifer in the days of the beginning. (laughs) No. You are constantly in the heavenly place, in the heavenly places, seated at the right hand of God. Regardless of your behavior, as long as you are in Christ... For if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have what? Become new. Are you guys hungry? She's hungry for the word. She's not the one I'm talking to. Are you guys hungry? Yes. Okay. Pastor Victor asked that question. So I told Pastor Shola, I'm like, <laughs> a lot of people believe he's talking about food. Like real food. Not the word of God. Amen. So, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Right? It is, it is important to know that you would have temptations all your life. Um, as long as you're, you're a believer, as long as you're saved, as long as you're in Christ, does not mean that offenses or temptations will not come to you. Um... You will go through various trials. You will go through various testings. But those testings are to approve of your faith. Okay? The Bible speaks about the trial of your faith. That the trial of your faith working out patience. So don't ever think that because you got saved uh, means that you are severed from the trials of life. Uh, The fact that you are saved will mean that you will go through the trials of life, but the difference is that your faith will prove that the trials of life will be inferior to that faith you have. Okay? That when the faith is tested, it comes out as pure gold. Praise God. So, many of you are looking at me right now. Uh, You don't look like the trial you're going through, but you're going through trial. Um, There's so many things happening. If you have the time to talk to someone about it, then you would realize that people really have problems. Just because they don't talk about it doesn't mean they don't have problems. And, and just because some people look well doesn't mean that they are not going through problems. And just because you have people who always talk about their problems doesn't mean that those who don't talk about it don't have problems. Trials are a universal language to every human being. And everyone who is a child of God will go through trials. Internal crisis, external crisis, heart issues, emotional issues, psychological issues. But guess what? Your faith is superior to all of that. Am I in agreement with all of you? Okay. Um, So he says the crown of life is given to those who go through trials and endure temptation. All right. Um, Number three, he spoke about the crown of glory. 
First uh, Peter chapter five verse two. First Peter chapter five verse two. It says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but what? But eagerly. Next verse. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. Being examples to the flock. Um, Pastor Chibuzo, while he was teaching, said, that this is the leader's crown. That if you come into leadership in the house of God, you, would, you are opportune to be given this crown. Leadership, not necessarily the fact that you are the pastor of the church, but if peradventure you happen to lead two or three people within the circles of the body of Christ and you're responsible for their feeding, and it doesn't have to be a positional thing. Pastor Phil doesn't have to call you and say, from today I ordain you a leader and because of that serve in so-so and so capacity. Whilst that can be inclusive or true, doesn't mean that that's the only way that you receive this crown. Um, this crown is given to people who are responsible for the growth of other people. Do you understand what I'm saying? You constantly feed your brother, your sister with God's word. What kind of gist do you have with your friends? I mean, be the leader of that clique that is leading in the conversations of God's word. Talk to me, somebody. Be the leader of that team. Be the leader of that group that spiritual matters are your conversations. Not that you're always gisting about the boy, gisting about the girl. You have nothing meaningful to say. All that you have to say is what somebody did to you or reporting a story or just, just that just is amen. <laughs> Are you getting what I'm saying? Even though I haven't said anything, you understand my meaning. You replace the right words in your heart. But are you getting what I'm saying? Yeah, but all of us are placed in, in groups. All of you are placed in relationships and those relationships, you must take the lead. What I mean take the lead, take the lead at the time you know you ought to. Take the lead in directing spiritual conversation. Take the lead in directing spiritual conversation. Whenever God brings people my way, the first thing I think about is not necessarily how to do or be any other way with them, but how to be a blessing to them. That should be your perspective, that whatever relationship I find myself in, my conversation is, how do I bring spiritual conversation, spiritual blessing to this relationship? That should be your conversation. Are we still together? Um, so it's important that we understand how to lead uh, in feeding people the word of God. You hear teachings, you hear my messages, you hear you're blessed, you do your God speaks to you, you study the Bible. Uh, take whatever you have learned, take it to somebody. The Bible says that the communication of your faith might be what? Effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that is inside of you. So you must learn how to communicate your faith. Don't say you're a Christian and you don't have Christian talk. Yeah, don't say you're a believer and you don't have believers talk. Uh, if, you, if you don't find it easy having those kinds of conversations with the people you call your friends, you might need to reevaluate who your friends are, right? Because friendship is value-based. Praise God. And even if they're not your friends, so to speak, when I mean friends, I mean you don't agree on the same values, but you, you share fellowship with them. Uh, let me put to perspective, everyone who is in your life may not be your friend, but it's important that you have fellowship. 
So whilst you have fellowship with someone, doesn't mean the person must be your friend. When I mean friend, I mean friend in terms of values. Because friendship is a choice. Are you getting what I'm saying? Friendship is a choice, but fellowship is compulsory. Okay? Fellowship is compulsory. Friendship is not compulsory. But fellowship is compulsory. We are called to fellowship. The Bible says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. Are you, are you still here? So, neglect, don't neglect the place of fellowship. That's what the Bible is saying. So, if you come into that circle where you offer leadership with um, conversations of spiritual matter, you have the crown of what? What's the crown now? The, the crown of glory. So, this is, this is called the shepherd's crown. It's called the pastor's crown. It's called the leader's crown. Praise God. Those who are committed to feeding people, feeding God's people with God's word every day in and out. Praise God. I mean, you have access to all the crowns. We're all going to be in heaven, but we will not look the same in heaven. And right now I said this is election period. This is campaign period. For when the right time comes where you begin to put your crowns out there, stars are decorated on your crown, before you cast them, at least you wear them, right? I mean, you look good on your crown, but now is the time to determine how you want to look when you're in heaven. So, um, Pastor Chibuzo tied all of this conversation to something when he said that the reason why we do all these things, why we get all these crowns, is because we honor God. Because we honor God. And at the end of the day, we're all going to what? cast our crowns before him that we had gone through the trials of life we had gone through temptations we had fed the flock we were committed in service in the house of god we had fulfilled purpose and all these things was to receive a crown that at the end of the day you were cast it means that your honor for god has to be the driving force to why you have done all through your lifetime what you do do you understand what I'm saying? That if you don't have honor for God, um, it won't drive you to do what you do right now. So it is my honor for God knowing that I want to amass all the crowns, all the accreditations that I can possibly get. So that when I get everything, I will throw it at his feet and just honor him. Praise God. It's just like you, you're in love with someone and because of how much you're in love with the person, what you do is you, you're trying to see how much you can buy so you can just give it to him or give it to her or give it to you. You understand what I'm saying? You just want to do everything as much as you can do to please the person. That's what he's saying, that God uh, will, will be the one who will receive uh, every crown that you cast before his feet on the last day. Amen. So, I now said that I will continue from where he stopped. Um, there, is, there is one basic thing as God, right? I want to tell you something very practical today. Very practical. We'll probably continue on Wednesday, but I'll, I'll stop now. And the first thing I want to say is, it is your ability to receive the love of God right to know how much god loves you that's the driving force to how much you work for him that you don't work for him because they told you there is a reward you work for your your service to god is a response of how much he loves you once you constantly unveil his love uh, towards you you would always be driven to do what you do 
Does that make sense to you? Once you constantly can see God's love all the time, it will drive you to do what you do. That you won't do what you do because other people are doing it. You won't serve because other people are serving. You would have a deeper sense of service. You would have a deeper sense of relationship, fellowship with God because you can see his love towards you. Now, I'm not talking about your love for him because your love for him will wane when you put your love for him besides his love for you. And the center of the gospel is to understand how much God loves me. Nobody outgrows this place. Nobody. 10 years in the faith, 20 years in the faith, 30 years in the faith. I've been serving God all my life. I was born a bishop. You were born an intercessor. You started interceding from your mother's womb. If you are like John the Baptist who prophesied from the womb. Or you are like John the Baptist. I hope you know when Mary came to Elizabeth. Some scholars believe that she probably may have had a kind of stillbirth. But the moment she heard the greeting of her cousin that the baby in her womb leaped. That is, the, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaped. That is John, who was about six months older than Jesus. Right? John was six months older than Jesus. John was in Elizabeth's womb. And the seed of the word had already been conceived in Mary's womb. The moment Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... The baby in her womb leaped. So someone says that it is possible for, for the first six months, Elizabeth never felt the moving of a baby in her womb. Even though the baby was growing, her belly was shooting out. There is something called quickening that at the, at the, uh, at the 16th week for those who have multiple children, you know, not primary gravida, but... Those who have had children before 16, week, the 16 weeks, they feel the quickening. But for those who are pregnant for the first time, at 18 weeks, they feel some kind of movement, also the quickening. That for six months, I don't know how long, how many weeks is six months? That's about, how many weeks? 24 weeks. So some scholars say that for 24 weeks, Elizabeth never felt the moving of a baby. But the moment, <laughs> the moment she heard the greeting of Mary, of course, Jesus was already in her womb. That baby leaped for joy. It means that the unconscious John recognized Jesus, even though the conscious John, many years later, would not recognize Jesus. <laughs> Praise God. So you might have been that way, 10 years in the faith, 20 years in the faith, doesn't mean that you outgrow receiving God's love. You get God's love today, you get it tomorrow. You get it tomorrow, you have to keep getting it next week. Now, what I'm telling you might be very basic, but this is the core of spiritual life. All right? I'm going to give you two enemies of God's love. That will be where I will start from, and then tomorrow, sorry, Wednesday, will continue from where I stop. Ah, what are the two enemies of receiving God's love? Just write it. You don't even have to write it down. Hear it and remember for life. Are you ready? It's very simple. Number one is guilt. And number two is offenses. That's it. See, if the devil is going to tempt you, he will tempt you in these two ways. 
if Satan is going to come at you, he will come at you in two ways. The first way will be guilt. And the second way is what? Offenses. Guilt and offenses are the attackers of God's love. But those two things will stop you from getting God's love. Why do I say so? I say so because the purpose of temptation is not sin. But sin is the bait. The guilt is the point. The purpose of temptation is not sin. Why would Satan tempt you with sin when he knows, behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world? If sin is not a factor or an issue anymore in this world, why is he still tempting us with sin? He's tempting you with sin because even though sin is not the issue, but there will be another issue that he presents apart from the sin. And what is that issue? Guilt. It is guilt because when you fall into the trap of guilt, hear me everybody, when you fall into the trap of guilt, what you should do, you begin to do the opposite. When you are supposed to be running to God, you will run away from God. That's what guilt does. Then I move to offenses. Offenses. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. Offenses are the major, they are the major trick of the devil. I mean, when... The, the New Testament uh, uh, writer was writing, I think it's in Peter, uh, uh, Josh, help me find the scripture where he says, let Satan take advantage of you, right? Uh, when, when the writer wrote that scripture, he says, let Satan take advantage of you. He was not saying it as though he means that when Satan who comes to kill, steal, and destroy comes to you, he comes announcing I'm here to kill, steal, and destroy you. Satan doesn't come announcing to you that I'm here to kill, steal, and destroy you. He begins gradually with offenses. People are out of the faith today, out of the body of Christ today because of offenses. People are out of church today because of offenses. Glory to God. The way you're quiet, I can hear mice licking ice. It's very quiet in here. Did you find the scripture? Okay. Now move to verse 10. Just go back to verse 10. It says, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Then here he's talking about forgiveness. Then verse 11, lest Satan should take advantage of us. So this is not a verse for spiritual attack and spiritual warfare. As if to say you are in combat with the devil. The combat is offense. Talk to me somebody. The combat, the real combat here is offense. Lest Satan should take advantage of you for we are not ignorant of his devices. When I see prayer warriors begin to pray and say, church, let's pray because the devil is about to scatter. Let's attack. Let's attack. Then you hold them. You, if I, there was one, one prayer warrior who started by saying, take position. Everybody has a position in which he takes to pray. And that position is a warfare position. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> I saw some people stood like this. <laughs> hey, the devil is dead. <laughs> All right. You see, we're not ignorant of his devices. That device there is not, is, not, is not as big as you think. It's actually right in the sense of the word device. It's a device because you think 
it is what it is, but it actually is not what you think it is. It's a device because it's something as little as offense. Yeah. These are the two things that attack God's love. Um, if you are starving in receiving God's love, know that you are guilty. You are feeling guilty about something. But remember, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Who walk not after the flesh, but walk after the spirit. In fact, the translators added that part, who walk not after the flesh, but walk after the spirit, because they couldn't really believe that there is just therefore now no condemnation, just like that. But we know that there is therefore now no condemnation, right? So, so you can be in the place of guilt, can you help me tell your neighbor, I'm not guilty, you're not guilty? Tell somebody else, you're not guilty, I'm not guilty. All right? Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Let me show you a scripture. Um, 1 John chapter 5, verse 17. 1 John chapter 5, verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. Next verse. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Now say this with me. Whoever is born of God does not sin. Say that to your neighbor. Whoever is born of God does not sin. But now, now what, what it means is you can't make a practice of sin, Right? That's what the Living Bible says. Another version says that you cannot be in the lifestyle of sin. That is, you would not, you would not feel comfortable. There would always be a conflict in your spirit to prove that you are actually saved. There would always be a conflict in your spirit whenever sin comes knocking at the door and you yield. If you don't feel that conflict in your spirit, you may not be saved. Are you still here, somebody? So, and then if you look at it from the other side, it, it can also mean uh, uh, whoever is born of God does not sin, meaning that you are one with Christ, you are righteous in Christ, and because of that, you don't have the sin nature. Are you getting what I'm saying? Say this with me, I don't have the sin nature. Okay, it's scripture time now. It's scripture time now. It's time, it's time to feed. It's time to feed, all right? So it says, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself. And the wicked one does not touch him. Let's read the next phrase. But he who has been born of God, what? Keeps himself. Let's say that again together. He who has what? Been born of God, keeps himself. He who has been born of God. Tell three people, he who has been born of God keeps himself. Mm -hmm. If you know the name of your neighbor, call the name of your neighbor. Pastor Shola, he who has been born of God keeps himself. Pastor Andrew, he who has been born of God keeps himself. Pastor Yemi, who, he who born of God, what? Keeps himself. Tell your neighbor, I keep myself. Smile at your neighbor, say, I keep myself. No, but I thought that we were kept by God, right? I thought that we were kept by God. We're, we're to him who is able to keep you from falling, right? To him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before um, the one who loves you. You remember that scripture? 
uh, let's, let's go to that scripture. To him who is able to keep you from falling. If you can find it, blessed are you, Christian brother. Blessed are you if you can find it. Any, anybody who can find it, to him who is able to keep us from falling. No, no, not that one. Sorry? Jude, Jude 24. Is it Jude 24? Is it what? Sorry? Jude 24. Alright, Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So this is the confusion now. He who is born of God keeps himself, right? Why is the Bible saying you keep yourself when Jude 24 is saying that it is God who is actually keeping you? Let me teach you how to keep yourself. Do you want to know how to keep yourself? Okay, let's go to how to keep yourself. Stay on this Jude, but go to verse 21. Keep yourselves. That's how to keep yourself. Keep yourself in the love of God. Now, keeping yourself is not keeping yourself from falling. You, that's not your job. You don't keep yourself from falling. You keep yourself in his love. When you stay in his love, fall, you won't fall. <laughs> fall, you won't fall. You won't fall. The reason why people fall is because they don't keep themselves in his love. And the moment you stay out of God's love, you become vulnerable. Now, hear me, you can be matured as a believer, but miss this point. That you don't know how to keep yourself in the love of God. How do you keep yourself in God's love? You keep reminding yourself every day, God loves me. God loves me. You heard what Paris said yesterday. That when you say, God loves me, I'm loved by my father. It is blow to the devil. <laughs> oh, glory to God. We keep ourselves in his love. Paul had to do this every moment where he says, nothing shall separate me from the love of God. How do you do this? When you are in, in life's trial, in life's circumstance, what do you say to yourself? He loves me still. If you don't know how to say that to yourself, you don't know how to keep yourself in God's love. And if you do that, guess what is going to happen to you? You begin to fall out of God's love and all of a sudden you begin to run into either of the two streams. What are the two streams? Guilt or offense. So it's either you feel guilty because you have not kept yourself in God's love and instead of you running to God, you are running away from God or if you are offended, gradually offenses begin to build in your heart and you know offenses just, it takes, it takes a while for it to mature. But you have no idea that Satan is taking advantage of you. I'll teach you the bait of, of offense. The bait of offense is logic. The bait of offense is reason. What do I mean? There is logically a reason to be offended. But if you don't know that it's a device, you fall into it, that why you think you are eating the food, the food is eating you. That at the end of the day, when you have picked offense, offense picks you, and when it picks you, it severes you from the life of God. That you can't experience the fullness of God anymore. See, watch against the trap of offenses. Are you still here, somebody? Now, you, you, now let, let, me, let me talk to you now. Uh, the closer the relationship, the, the greater the opportunity for offense. 
Yeah, the closer you are to someone, the stronger the possibility of the offense. That when the offense happens, it's possible that the offense will be deeper because of how close you are with the person. Are you getting what I'm saying? That's why when you see husband and wife fight, amen, amen. Amen, amen. Glory to God. When you see husband and wife fight, they fight as if they never love each other. But when they love each other, they love each other like they never fight. Mm, I was never married before, but I have parents. <laughs> Amen. Did somebody hear what I'm saying? What does this mean? Offenses will surely come. Now, we, you have to be ready as a believer to know how to deal with offenses when they come. Because if you can't deal with offenses when they come, you are vulnerable and Satan takes advantage of you. Why you picked on logic, offense picked on you. There's a reason to be angry and your reason to be angry is not heard by anyone. You keep talking, nobody's hearing you and at the end of the day you walk away. It's the same thing that guilt will do. It's just coming in a different direction. That you have taken yourself. So when offenses come, what do you do? Keep yourselves. Come on somebody now. What I'm telling you is as practical. Never forget it in your lifetime. Two attackers of God's love. Number one, guilt. Number two, offenses. If it doesn't come with guilt, it will come with offense. If it doesn't come with offense, it will come with guilt. Guilt is the feeling of what you have done wrong. Offenses is the feeling of what somebody has done wrong to you. So there is some kind of wrong going on. But it's how do I deal with the wrong? Is it do I deal with the wrong that I have committed? Or do I deal with the wrong that somebody has committed to me? You must know how to deal with wrongs anyways. Look at your neighbor saying, know how to deal with wrongs anyways. If not, one chance. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Guilt has the power. Go back to John chapter 15 verse 17. Guilt has the power to harden your heart, cause you to be blind to his love and walk away. Um, now it says all unrighteousness is seen and there is sin not leading to death. Next verse. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one touches him not. Next verse. We know that we have God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Next verse. Alright. Okay, I want us to go to Hebrews. Let me show you something in Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3 verse, I don't want to touch that because if I do, I won't close early. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13. Uh, Let's start from verse 12, I'm sorry. Start from verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart. Now, see, ah. The writer here was talking to a mixed crowd. He was talking to people who were of the faith and people who were not of the faith, who had the tendency to go back to Judaism. So there was a mixed crowd of those who were truly saved and a crowd of those who were really not saved. But he says, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of what? Unbelief in departing from the living God. Now let's see how he goes. He says, but exhort one another 
daily. Look at your neighbor and say, talk to yourselves daily. Okay, so can I charge you? Let me teach us in this house. Learn to share the word with yourselves. Praise God. Don't wait till Wednesday service before you share the word. Learn to talk the word with someone. I said that at the beginning of the sermon, right? Learn to share the word with your brother. Husband and wife, share word with each other. I heard about a couple. They had they, they'd been married for 16 years. At the time I was talking to the wife, they had never held hands together to pray. Yeah, don't, don't say wow because um, because Life, life can design both husband and wife to a way that that's not how they are. It's not as if they don't pray individually or talk about what they prayed about. But you see that thing coming together to hold hands and then pray. It's not a conversation in their home. How much more talk about God's word? You see, certain foundations have to be laid, especially when you begin relationships, so that after you're married, you continue with those foundations. And it doesn't become a strange thing because you're trying to introduce something you should have done from the start, 15 years later. Am I making sense to you? All right, so, um, exhort one another daily while it is called today. If you have friends who, while you talk God's word with them, they keep saying, this one is also word of God, word of God, word of God. <laughs> Don't get weary by that. If they tag you, don't get weary by that. Praise God. Share the word of God, if not for them, for you. Because the more you talk about it, the more you deepen your convictions. For you. For you. Do it for yourself. Okay? Do it for yourself. Do it for yourself. Husband, wife, share the word together. Brother, sister, in the relationship, share the word together. In fact, what else would you be talking about more if you're not talking word? (laughs) Praise God. Talk about that. Talk about that. Talk about godly things together. Friends, he's my best friend. He's my best friend the whole wide world. He's my best friend. Best friend ain't talking about the word. (laughs) What kind of best friend are you? (laughs) You're not no best friend anything. Look for friends you can share God's word with. So he says, but exhort one another daily while it is called, what? Today. Lest any of you be hardened through what? The deceitfulness of sin. Now, when the Bible says the deceitfulness of sin, he's not saying the sin itself, but what sin causes you to be or causes you to do. What's the deceitfulness of sin? Next verse, verse 14. It says, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. The deceitfulness of sin is it doesn't get you to the end. That's the deceitfulness of sin. That you become guilty of the sin. That instead of running to God, you run away from God. What's the solution to guilt and offenses? What's the solution? Keep yourselves. In the love of God. Every day, every moment. I'm going to wrap up with saying this. You see the word offense. There are two streams of offenses. There are two angles to offenses. There is the obvious stream and there is the stream that is not so obvious. The obvious stream of offense is the one... Oh, hallelujah. The obvious stream of offense is the aggressive expression of you being offended at someone. That's the obvious stream of offense. That when you're offended at somebody, you vent out, shouting back at the person, speaking back at the person, expressing your mind. You can see the venom. You can see the anger. Are you still here? 
We've all been there before, right? I've been there before. Amen. If you've not been there, you are, you are assistant Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. That's the obvious stream of defense. That when you're offended, the one thing you want to do is, I have to let them know my mind. I have to say my mind. If I don't say my mind right now, I'm not myself until I say my mind. That's the obvious stream of offense. That one catches many people, right? But guess what? Whenever you get to that place, you must remember, keep yourself in the love of God. Just, just keep yourself in God's love. Stay there. Stay there. Stay at what is the most important. If not, you will miss it. You know, they say when you're angry, you can say things you don't mean and mean what you don't say. That those words are like eggs. When they break, you can never put them back together again. Praise God. Never let offenses or your emotions drive you to the point where you can't control yourself. I'm not, if you have Proverbs chapter 19, verse 7, help me put it up there. But I'm, I'm, I'm believing God that God will give you the grace. There are some of you who are very open to offenses. And that's because you don't have the mind of Christ. Mm. When you have the mind of Christ, you stay, you stay contained to the point whereby offenses can hardly get to you. I know what I'm saying. I, I'm just trying to find a way to express what I mean. But when you are locked with the mindset or the mentality of the mind of Christ, you are closed somewhat to offenses that you somehow tend to forgive even before the offense comes. That even when the offense comes, you say like Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended in me. Are you getting what I'm saying? And even when the offenses come, you're coming to bring your gift at the altar. The Bible says, you know somebody is angry at you. You know your brother is having something against you. What do you do? Drop your gift on the altar. It might take one person to forgive, but it takes two people to reconcile. So what do you do? Your aim is not that I've forgiven him. God knows my heart is clear. Mm, go and reconcile. Are you, are you getting what I'm saying? Yeah, let's stop. Let's stop. If we say we know the grace of God, let's do the grace of God. I came to speak to you, TSP, today. And if anybody is hearing what I'm saying, know that these are the two loopholes of the enemy. Guilt and offenses. Somebody has said, Kai, there is this thing you've done to me. It has shifted my position towards you. From now henceforth, I will see you differently. And I will treat you differently because of what you've done to me. And because of this thing you've done to me. In fact, the person may not even know you are having this conversation in your mind. Sometimes you are not even courageous enough to speak it or to say it that this is how bold people talk about their offenses. Be bold enough to call someone and say, you offended me. Right? This thing you did hurt me. But let the objective be forgiveness. Not argument. Let the objective be what? Forgiveness. Not just to argue and leave the argument baseless. Are you getting what I'm saying? Look at your neighbor and say, surely offenses must come. Look behind you and tell him, say, surely, 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 my brother, surely, my sister, offenses must come. When offenses come, what do you do? Keep yourselves in the love of God. This is warning for a lifetime. Warning for what? What do I call it? Warning for a lifetime. That if you don't know this, you can be called a mature Christian, but be in offenses. That you are not even trained to know how to deal with offenses. 
There are pastors who have taught the word of God but have not been in the center of offenses because everybody does what they say. And then when they are offended, they don't even know how to deal with it. Are you, I don't know if you get what I'm saying. But there are, there, are, there are some people who are coming through the grassroots. They are masters of dealing with offenses. You are the real Christian. <laughs> Not even the person who can't deal with single offense. Oh, have you been offended before? Many times. Have I been offended before? Many times. The sheep will offend the pastor. Pastor will offend the sheep. But guess what? Keep yourselves the love of God. Yes, we hear what I'm saying? Warning for a lifetime. If not, offenses or guilt, one of the two, will take you out of God's love. And when you are taken out of God's love, the Bible says in Hebrews, it says, lest your heart is hardened with the deceitfulness of sin. That your soft heart at a point becomes hard. It says, all the brothers of the poor hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He may pursue them with his words, yet they abandon him. Is this the verse that I'm looking for? Forgetting the name of Jesus is fine. Let's leave it. It's fine. Amen. So I've told you about the obvious, the obvious end of offense. That aggression. That I'm angry at you. You know I'm angry at you. That's offense. It's clear that it's offense. But there is another end of offense. It's not aggression. It's withdrawal. <laughs> it's withdrawal, but it's still offense. That, that they don't know how to shout at you. They don't know how to rake at you. They don't know how to... <laughs> they don't know how to express at you. But what they know how to do is to withdraw from you. It's still offense. When you get to that point, that place of withdrawal, that's why sometimes in church, what you find is people who have opened themselves to the loopholes of the enemy and Satan is taking advantage of them, what you see them do most times is withdraw. Now, the withdrawal is not because they are trying to avoid the problem, but the withdrawal is because they are offended. And you, if you haven't dealt with the offense, right, you will call the withdrawal wisdom. Meanwhile, the withdrawal is not wisdom, but anger in just a suppressed way. Am I talking to you today? Now, if you don't understand this, you will find out that you become less effective in the house of God because you are offended by someone who doesn't even mean what he says or who doesn't mean it as deep as he said it, but because your heart is open to offenses and you are not careful to watch against the devices of the enemy, the first thing you do is withdraw. He said, Pastor, I didn't shout at him. Pastor, I didn't insult him. Pastor, I was not rude to him. But you withdrew. You withdrew from all the good things that you used to do before. That's still offenses. Guys, see, be careful. Lest the enemy take advantage of you. If care is not taken, you will find yourself in withdrawal or in aggression, but altogether is still offense. What is the solution of this? Keep yourself constantly on God's love. If not, you will be withdrawn that you cannot be the vessel to which God wants to meet goodness to his people through anymore. Pastor, I stopped coming to church because when I was sick, nobody called me to check on me. You're offended. 
your friend that nobody knew you were sick. Anyone who is sick, let him call on the elders. The elders may not call on you. But let him call on the elder. You are sick. At least be able to pick up your phone and call. Say, I'm, I'm not feeling well today. And then get a word of prayer from someone. Get a word of prayer from one of the pastors. But don't be offended because no one checked on you. Counsel for life. Never let guilt or offense take you out of God's love. That's how people in the body of Christ are cheated. You get cheated and you don't know that you are cheated. This is the other end of offense. Withdrawal. They are withdrawn from the place where they ought to be nourished. Withdrawn from the people they ought to love. I'll say that again. Withdrawn from the people they ought to love. I'm not saying withdrawn from the people that ought to love them. Withdrawn from the people they ought to love. You're offended by the people who you ought to love. Uh, because you're offended, you're withdrawn from them. You can't love them anymore. And that's because you have let offenses take hold of you. Guess what? You're being cheated by the devil. And if you let yourself in that place, you would never be the best that God wants you to be. You don't even know there is a best. Is somebody hearing what I'm saying today? What is the solution of all these things? Keep yourselves in the love of God. He who is born of God does not sin. He keeps himself. And that God will never let him stumble. But how do you keep yourself? Jude 21 tells us you keep yourself in God's love. Are you getting what I'm saying today? So never let your biases, never, you must learn to let things go. Friends, you hear what I'm saying to you? Audacity, audacity, you hear what I'm saying to you? Whatever it is, it is. You must learn to let things go within yourselves. Pastors, everybody, you must learn to let things go. I mean, you see someone say, Pastor, I know what I went through on Facebook. You, I mean, people say stuff to you on Facebook and you can remember verbatim what someone said to you five years ago. Just because you are very prone to offenses. He who, is, he who understands God's love is hardly offended. I'll say that again. I'll say that again. He who understands God's love is hardly offended. Yeah. He who understands God. That's why the Bible says perfect love casts out all fears. You know why people are afraid to relate? They are afraid of offenses. I don't want to relate with him because if I relate with him, I don't know. Something can happen. Something will go wrong. And I don't want to be in the mix of people. I'd rather be on myself. I'd rather be by myself. Fear. But perfect love casts out all fears. Even when the offenses come, what do I do? I deal with the offense. It's just an offense. Come on. If the Christian faith is built on forgiveness, why can't your relationship be built on forgiveness? You came into God because God forgave you. So why can't you have relationships based on forgiveness? Stand up on your feet, everybody. Yeah, thanks. The closer the relationships, the greater the opportunity for offense. That's the reason why the ones you really love the most are the ones who can easily offend you the most. But you must be careful. Look at your neighbor and say, surely offenses will come. 
If I, if I, if I look at your neighbor eyeball to eyeball right now, just do it. I, I know, I know some of you don't like it. I know some of you don't like it, but just, just do this one favor with me, all right? Look at your neighbor eyeball to eyeball. Tell him offenses I know will come, my brother, my sister. But what do you do? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Glory to God, somebody. Now let's break into the joy of the Lord right now. Come on, break out in joy. Come on, break out in joy. Break out in joy. Can I, can I tell you, can I tell you, this is deliverance for some of you. You can't tell me, Pastor Phil, I, the, who, how do we find elders in church? People who are mature, believers in church. We find those people who are mature believers because they know how to walk with people and not be offended even when there is offense in the midst of walking with people. Pastor's business is a messy business. Because sheep will be in a place where it smells and it stinks. The pastor is not like the evangelist. The pastor is not like the prophet. The pastor is not like the apostle. The prophet goes from place to place, conveying the mind of God. The evangelist travels from city to city, but has no emotional connection with the people. But the pastor, apart from teaching the word of God, is emotionally connected with the people. Sometimes I feel your emotions, you know. But guess what? How do we survive? We keep ourselves in God's love. As you walk out right now, it's not a prophecy, but just know. Somebody's going to step on your toe. Somebody's going to say sorry and not mean the sorry. Who am I talking to right now? I don't know who I'm talking to. Somebody's going to say I'm sorry and do the same thing that he did to you yesterday. He will do it again tomorrow. But what would you do? You keep yourself. Doesn't mean you don't correct the person. Doesn't mean you don't you don't admonish the person. No, you will. But you preserve yourself from offenses. Guess what? Offenses will begin gradually. When it, <laughs> This is how it starts. It starts small, small. Somebody says small, small. After a while, it keeps building. Keeps building. Keeps building. And when it has fully matured, it is either one of the two streams. Aggression or withdrawal. The aggression can show itself in any way. The withdrawal will show itself as withdrawal. But that person is offended. I want you to hold yourself right now. No, no, no not hold your neighbor. Just hold yourself right now. Say, I, I, I guard my heart. Come on, embrace yourself right now. Place your hands on your chest. On your, come on. Say, my heart is guarded. Oh, hallelujah. TSP, look at me, everybody. (laughs) There there are some people who are very open. When I mean open, I mean you are very exposed to the life of offense. You know what you need to do? I'm not saying change yourself. Because changing yourself is a remedy that will not work. I'm saying seal those openings with the love of God in your heart. That those deep offenses after a while will mean nothing to you anymore. The mature you are, the more mature you are, right? The more of God's love you've embraced in your heart. That's how to do it. Hold, hold yourself. Come on, hold yourself. 
Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it will flow the issues of life. Regardless of the trials of life, I'll keep myself in the love of God. No money in my pocket, I'll keep myself in the love of God. Your best friend insults you, I keep myself in the love of God. You're offended by church, you're offended by your brother, you're offended by your sister, what do you do? I keep myself in the love of God. Come on, come on, hold yourself, say, say with me. My heart is kept in the love of God. My heart is kept in the love of God. Come on, say it, say it. Until, until it gets into the root of your being. From now, I see God doing a surgery on you. And that surgery is your ability to let go. That the grace to let go is coming upon you. Some of you don't know why you hold on to things too tightly. But you actually do. And you do not because you want to. But you do because you just see yourself doing it. Because so many things have happened to you before. And you have become defensive about life. You become more suspicious about life. Your expectations have dropped. So when you're relating with people, you don't even have expectations. Why? So you're not offended. You don't even want to be talked to about certain things. Because you don't want to forgive those things. Now is the time to go into those things and have those conversations about those things. Because if you don't understand God's love, guess what, my friend? You're not perfected in love. You can't forgive. You hold on to offense. This forgiveness I'm talking about is the one you've received. Give it to somebody else. I'm not saying generate it. I'm not saying originate it. You, can't, you don't have any forgiveness to give. You don't. If somebody offends you, what you should do is remember you've been forgiven. That's what you should do. If you don't remember you've been forgiven, you will forget to forgive. Hold the hands of your neighbor now. Now lose yourselves. Hold the hands of your neighbor. We're going to speak as a house. In the name of Jesus. You know, morning was prophecy. Now I'm talking to your hearts. Are you ready? Hold the hands of your neighbor tightly. In the name of Jesus. You have the heart to forgive. Say this with me. My heart is full of love. I see the love of God. I receive the love of God. We keep ourselves in the love of God. We exalt ourselves daily. We're not deceived by the enemy. Even though we know guilt will come, we will keep ourselves in God's love. Yes, offenses might come. We keep ourselves in God's love. Lose your hands. Give God praise now. Come on. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. And for more information about the Standpoint Church, visit our social media platform on www.facebook.com slash standpointabj, twitter.com slash standpointabj, instagram.com slash standpointabj, and on soundcloud.com slash standpointabj.